Thanks for listening to the show. Join us online at playvolutionhq.com and learn how to support the show at explorationsearlylearning.com slash support. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Kick back, settle in, and let us fill your ear holes with early learning information, wisdom, and advice. And now, here's Heather and Jeff. Hey, here's some more of our conversation with Jennifer about how parents speak. To um, uh, categories. So, for example, the one you are just talking about, who's my big boy, goes along with ones that manipulate. So these kinds of ways of parents speaking manipulate, saying good job and who's my big boy. And then you have other categories, um, ones that objectify, that give grandma a kiss and you're so cute. Um, And then ones that micromanage, be careful, saying thank you, sharing, sorry, all those ones. And ones like, um, I wanted to get into some that threaten. Um, Do you want a timeout? do you want a spanking? I said right now, ones that threaten. And what, and how often um, parents lean on those ones to try to get uh, behavior that they want to see. So can we yeah. dive into the timeouts and things like that? Are you ready to Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, I think, one of the biggest tragedies of our culture, but it's really the way we operate is to threaten children if you know, parents speak is really a language of control. We use it to tell our kids what we want them to do, to share or say thank you, when we want them to do it, you know, on the count of three, and what we want them to say, and then what will happen to them if they don't. We're going to yell at them. They're going to get a timeout. And, um, and that's the power we have. We rely on our power, which goes away as they get older and, you know, as teenagers and get bigger than us. So if we've relied only on our power, um, we set everybody up for failure. But timeouts are particularly concerning to me because they're the number one most used way of disciplining children. And they're the number one most recommended by pediatricians. And this is despite the overwhelming research and the harm that they cause. Because not only does it tell a child that the way to solve a problem is by um, taking your attention away from somebody, there's no problem solving it and there's no um, focus on why they did, why they're acting, how they're acting, their behavior, what needs they're trying to meet. But it's leaving a child alone to solve their feelings and thoughts. I mean, it's the... Children are wired from the moment they're born to connect with their caregivers and, you know, so that they feel safe. That's how we feel safe, to know that the person that's in charge of us is going to give us food, shelter, and nurture. That's what we need. So if we can sense that that connection is not strong, we can react as if our very life is at stake. And so children can be quite frightened and scared when they're sent away from their parents for behavior that they're not even aware of what they're doing or why they're doing it. So it's adding a huge problem on top of a problem. It's not a way to solve something, but it can have such lingering effects throughout someone's life because they are don't feel accepted as somebody who, who has 
problems by their parents. It basically says, you can only be around me if you act a certain way. Otherwise, you're happy, you're happy, you're charming, you do everything I want right now. Yes. <laughs> you know, and other, otherwise, it's the exact opposite of unconditional love. And we, all human beings, have our light side, our dark side. We have problems. We have fears. We have so much. And we need to know that our parents are like these confident, capable people who accept us and help us understand ourselves, not send us away when we're not some fantasy of what they want a human to be. Yeah. I think that acceptance is so huge. When I speak to groups, I usually ask the room full, um, how many of you have had, when you were growing up, all of your feelings accepted by your parents or whoever raised you? And it Well, in a crowd of 200 or so, there's often one or two who will raise their hand. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how silent that crowd gets because those difficult feelings um, are usually ones that the parents have a hard time accepting. They have a hard time accepting their own, and they have a very hard time accepting it from the children. And so unless we as adults, unless we were raised that way, which I was lucky enough to have my feelings accepted, so it was second nature for me not to take personal affront when my kids were mad at me. I'm not afraid of that kind of energy, but most of us never had it modeled. And so unless we take the time to learn, and as you did, reach out to this sort of respectful type um, ways of interacting with a child and relearn how to interact a little bit, it just perpetuates. And um, I'm just hoping that, you know, a few generations from now, more and more people in those rooms will start raising their hands. It's a very, very challenging cycle to break, as all our all cycles are. Um, yeah, and and it really has, I mean, my parents, I think, were trying their best to parent from an enlightened place. They would say, I was welcome to have my feelings and act however I wanted, just as long as I did it in my own room. <laughs> so the message was, you know, be who you are, but as away from us. And it was just devastating. And I would, you know, sit in my room and cry and scream, trying to let them know out there that this was really hard for me. And then I would try to stay in as long as possible to punish them for punishing me and have them uh, suffer for not being able to enjoy my company. That was all I could do. And I know it stayed with me my whole life. It's so hard for me to feel like... um, I can be accepted with uh, that I'm not a bad person when I'm angry at someone or having a hard time. And I, I really, you can the, suffer from, I would say I definitely suffer from a fear of abandonment. And it's played out in relationship after relationship after relationship that I would ultimately drive people away to confirm this idea that I had from a young, as a young child, that I was unlovable as I was. And, you know, recovery is slow and it's a lot of therapy. And if we can save people that fate by being with our children when they're struggling instead of sending them away, it would just be a miracle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is interesting, too, because every child has different reactions. And what I find is, you know, I've never used a timeout with my kids, but I have found um, that sometimes one of them will choose to go away to have some privacy while they're being mad and then come back. So there's sort of a, an invitation. It's, it's all their power um, that they decide right. to go away and come back. I'm not sending them. And I think that's where Absolutely. the difference is. 
You know, sometimes a dog or an animal will go away and want to be away when things are tough, and then they'll come back when they're feeling ready. So it not being away itself isn't the problem, but uh, it's it's who's dictating it. And also, I've had parents say, okay, well, um, I'm with them, they're still crying, and two hours later, and I have other things to do. There is a point, it doesn't have to be two hours, it can be sooner than that, where you can say, I hear you, I know you're super sad about this still, I am going to be in the backyard, and it, you can be with me, that's where I'm going to be in the garden, and or you can, um, you know where to find me if you need me. So letting them Absolutely. know they're, they're welcome, but you don't have to you know, keep watching the time tick by if this has gone on and you've already acknowledged their feelings. You can start right. to move on. And and I do know that um, it usually takes human, human beings 20 minutes to um, change if they're accepted for their feelings to change, to get into a new mood. Just that's um, physiologically. So yeah. I don't Unless you keep reigniting it in some way, you know. Right. So, anyway. Jeff, are you still there? I'm still here, and I, what I'm interested in is how, what tips do we have for our listeners, this is parents and early learning professionals mostly, for for being more intentional about the language they use. Uh, Jennifer, in an in a interview we recently did with a family child care provider, she, she read Heather's book, and she decided she was going to get a little bit more intentional with her practice. Instead of, instead of going with the, hey, be careful, oh, watch out kind of language, she switched over to things like, do you feel safe? when kids are climbing trees and, and on the monkey bars and those kind of things. How do we help parents and caregivers make this shift in, in, in their use of language? Right. Well, or do we just stay quiet completely? <laughs> well, a lot of times silence is golden. Mm-hmm. But it, it, in terms of like if um, often when we say good job, what we often mean is thank you. Like that example I gave at the beginning with my daughter cooking with my mother, oh, thank you so much for helping. It's a pleasure to have you, mm-hmm. and I appreciate your help. They genuinely needed her help and appreciated having it. She didn't need to be told she was good for it. So, so often I think um, appreciation is a better way to go than praise. Yeah. But also, when a child is playing, and our, um, we have kind of this knee-jerk response to say, good job, You know, I always find if we can look at what they're doing, let's say they're building with magnet tiles and blocks, if we can describe what we're seeing, oh, my God, this is such a huge construction. It's so tall, and then you connected them over here. I find in describing what I'm seeing, I actually become more focused. And what they really want is to know that we're interested in their work, Mm -hmm. not how we're evaluating it. And then... I find kind of the gift that keeps on giving is asking about it. God, I see all these piled over here. And my kids have, you know, in the past that, oh, that's not a pile. Those are, you know, all these boats and they're out at sea. And I'll get a whole glimpse into the whole world, their whole world. But had I just done a drive-by good job, I would never have gotten kind of the rich conversation that we would have. So. I find describing and asking about something is so much better than praising it. And in terms of 
can you say thank you? This is such a big one, and I think people who truly believe in my in the philosophy that I advocate for, this is maybe the hardest one for them to wrap their heads around. They're like, I just can't wait. I must have my child say thank you. <laughs> and for me, I'm not against manners. By all means, I want my children to be polite and considerate and appreciative. But if I said, Heather, can you thank me for having you on or having me on your show? I mean, there's a level of humiliation of being yeah, asked. Yeah, you want to say, no, a- I'm not going to. <laughs> Heather, I-, I didn't notice that you said thank you to me. Uh, you were kind, you were interesting, but you didn't thank me. And announcing that in front of everybody is humiliating. And it's treating you in such a profoundly disrespectful way. And so what I aim to do with my children is if if it's a glaring situation and they haven't thanked them, usually, you know, children, you know, it's so age dependent. But often I just, I call it being a wingman. I try to make my kids look good and, and model for them. So I'll just thank the person myself. Thank you so much for having Jules over. I know she had a great time and she loves coming over. And if they received a present and didn't thank them in a way that the person, like they, sometimes they'll be like, oh my God, what a cute dress. And they'll put it on and run away. And the parent will be like, can you say thank you? But they obviously were so delighted. And they can always send an email later or a picture with a text, thank you, or an old-fashioned thank you note. There's so many ways to say thank you, but you don't need to put your child on the spot because it can just drain a situation of its joy. And I, I really like the opening quote you have on that chapter of Can You Say Thank You. It's a quote by Fred Astaire. The hardest job kids face today is learning good manners without seeing any. (laughs) It's true because even when we say thank you to them, um, we can so often talk to them in ways that are not considerate. I say, come here. We're not going to go until you put the sunscreen on. Nope, we're not going to do it. You know, that the way that we can, all of us, I do it, we can fall into it and not a considerate way of talking to somebody, and yet we're so much sticklers for the, please and thank you. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it's you not know, about I, being with your soul and your heart and your basic respect. I think the language comes out of that. The kinds of words that we would say, the alternative words to the parents speak is what happens when you're fully present and fully respecting somebody, whatever their age is. It, it's, it's, we wouldn't certainly come out with the parents speak if we were in that kind of uh, better place in, in our perspective. I agree. Yes. Well put. And so maybe our job becomes, one, paying attention to our own mindset a little bit more, and two, pausing a little bit before we talk? Yeah, and I really, I agree with that. And what I always try to ask people is to put themselves in their child's shoes. And it's so hard to do, but how would you feel if? Somebody told you to say sorry in front of the person. And, you know, apologizing is also a very, you know, complicated thing. You know, I can feel sorry, but for me to get up the gumption to say something to somebody, 
is a process to get there. And we want to bypass the feelings of remorse and then getting up the um, gumption to do it. And just so we can look better in front of other parents and smooth things over, we feel bad for the child. And so, so often we, we, we rush to do it and our intentions are good. We want the other child to feel okay. And I always apologize. I'm sorry that happened. But to make someone else do it, put yourself in your child's shoes. It's such a hard thing to do to put yourself in someone else's shoes. But it just pays off so much because you just wouldn't say that to, to your spouse. And you wouldn't want someone to say it to you. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's not language you use to the person at the next cubicle at work. Right, exactly. Yeah. And we just have this whole other way we talk to children as if they're a different class of people. And they're not. They're humans that just haven't been alive as long as we have. But they still feel things the way we do. And or they have the same need we have. Yeah. And then sometimes they feel them even bigger. So all the more reasons since they have less life experience and sometimes larger emotions to, to um, connect with them on, on different ways. So, and, and I truly feel because they are, do not have the ability to advocate for themselves the way that adults do, that they're deserving of more consideration and respect because they're unable to advocate and articulate things so that way we are. Well, I'm so glad that you have this book out in the world, and um, and some of the, you know, some of us who, I think it is as we talked about at the beginning in the ether. And so, even if you've never thought you'd start saying these words, um, if you hang around enough parents on the playground, it sort of seeps into your brain and your vocabulary. So it's all for those of you who think, oh, I wouldn't say those. Some of the ones she comes up with, you know, you might want to double check. Are you saying this kind of parent speak? Um, for some of you who um, don't speak parents speak yourself, but you work with young kids, this is just one more resource that can help get the message out to families and, and um, others who work with young kids. So thanks for, um, oh, here I am thanking you. Thanks for being on the show, Jennifer. You put me up well, on that one. <laughs> yeah, well, it really was a, a pleasure to be here, and I really uh, admire your work, and I'm so happy to be another voice. Um, in concert with yours and others to get the word out and, about really um, trusting children. And so, Jennifer, yeah, trust is the word, and the kids are thanking you too, but in their own way, which means they're not. <laughs> exactly, hey, Je- Jennifer. Before we go, um, if there's if there are listeners who need more Jennifer in their life, uh, where should we send them on the interwebs? Oh, yes. Thank you so much for asking. JenniferLear.com, L-E-H-R.com, is a lot of, of my work is there. And the book is Parent Speak, which you can get it at Am- on Amazon or an- anywhere else that books are sold. And that's it. Excellent. i got to ask one more question uh, before, we, before we wrap up. Um, what's the response been from parents since the book has come out? Have you had any pushback on anything? Or are people oh, grabbing yeah. it up? Or- Absolutely. Just as expected, um, there is a lot of pushback. I I did an excerpt from the book in the Wall Street Journal when it came out, and it was the number one article for three days on the journal, which is a pretty conservative audience. And it a lot of people were, you know, this is a load of crap, 
and very colorful language, but the degree to which they were so appalled by what I had to say, I think could be encapsulated in the comment that I received from one listener reader who said, surely Charles Manson must have been raised by someone with her philosophy. Oh, that is how, um, and in the article, all I suggest is that if a child doesn't want to put on a raincoat, that you ask them why instead of forcing them to do it, and that you don't make the child say thank you, but model it. So those were the two points, and and they went right to Charles Manson. Oh, man, who, I hope you, you had know, that put a, on a, a T-shirt. A cult-leading murderer. <laughs> what? I hope you had that quote put on a T-shirt. That'd be, that'd be delightful to wear around. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible, but it is so... Um, challenging these ideas of treating children with respect, it just makes people crazy. And if my child does not put on that raincoat when I tell them to, then blah, blah, blah. You know, I was taken out by the myrtle tree. And if my child's not going to, blah, blah, you know, people get so upset. And, you know, I don't blame them. I mean, that's the way they were raised. And it's very challenging ideas. But if we want to raise children who can speak up for themselves, advocate for themselves, then we have to listen to them and trust them and give them the chance to speak, which is really what the book is about, and not getting them to do what we want when we want it using threats or praise. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for answering that one. Um, I, let's wrap her up. This has been Renegade Rules. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sharing the show. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music by Alexander Shoemaker. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.